Hey everyone, welcome back for episode three of David's four-part series on faith and religion. We were supposed to be discussing sex trafficking today, but I got hung up on the truth, where it comes from, how we know for sure that it's the truth, and why religions try so hard to make people believe their truth. I might have been grasping at low-hanging fruit here, and I probably could have done a better job at framing exactly what the discussion was going to be from the beginning. But David says that my questions are fundamental to the discussion, so I don't feel as bad about that as I do about how disruptive the internet connection was during this recording. So I am sorry. If you can get over those two very big humps, you might enjoy this episode. I'm having a blast talking to David regardless, and I'm learning a lot from him and about the way that I think when I listen back on them, and I'm so grateful for the growth these conversations are facilitating within me. So thanks for coming along the journey. Enjoy. separates the talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. Upon learning this quote, table salt became my symbolic reminder to keep up the hard work. This developed into pink salt, the hard work that goes into successful relationships. The idea for this podcast was born of my innate curiosity about intimacy and relationships, and I wanted to include the spectrum of relationships, intimate but also familial, professional, even individual relationships finances, food, faith, you name it. The relationships that take up space in our lives are endless, yet many of us feel societally imposed taboo when those relationships get difficult and maybe need some elbow grease. Pink Salt reminds us to have grace for the people and things around us when things don't go as easily as we pictured. I'm your host, Jacqueline Chantel. Let's get to work. Listen, subscribe, and leave a review. my favorite oh. discussion in, in the way that it applies. I love physics. I love biology, obviously, but I think this might be one of the most powerful arguments for people on a day-to-day scale. All right. Let's start there. Yeah. We're talking about sex trafficking people. Yes. Dear goodness. David's favorite subject. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sex trafficking, sex industry, you know, porn industry, uh, the wh- whatever thing is used to turn people into economic items of uh, pleasure and nothing more. So this might be what I think to be one of the strongest arguments for the Christian ethic, uh, because it's one which people who even even people who state that there is no such thing as morality hold that out of nowhere, all of a sudden, the moment that they say there's no morality, the moment you bring up sex trafficking, they'll say, well, that's objectively evil. All right. And so it's a moment where all of a sudden they, they break away from what they just said. So this is part of the moral argument of apologetics, um, which I'm really excited to talk about. Well, talk, talk about it. Yes. I'm really interested to know specifically uh, how the argument deviates from the morality of it so that we know why you can't have both. Yes. Yes, of course. Well, yeah, I, I, um, I think one of the most important ways to tackle this issue is to ask number one, if I were to state sex trafficking, uh, is morally wrong. Right. And I can make that claim as a Christian because scripture says that, all people made in the image of God. Also, clearly in scripture, it speaks against, and I think Deuteronomy and also in Isaiah and also in Amos about the nature of slave trading and how God punishes those who uh, were, oh yeah, 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 right on. Um, and then God punishes those who were trading slaves and sending the Jewish people off to other countries, to Egypt, even to Greece at one point by the Assyrians, the Persians. Uh, following that exact understanding in scripture over and over against sex trafficking, against rape, the scripture says is evil and a perversion of what God says is good. 
uh, sex being a thing which is done in marriage, a marriage relationship. Uh, clearly, sex trafficking on, at every single point of it is wrong uh, by the Christian ethic. Now, the issue here is that we would have to approach this discussion aside from a Christian lens to see if it works. And so, uh, you know, and I, I can also explain, yes, in Christianity over and over and over, the use of sex in a way which is it is not intended to be is a perversion of it. Sex trafficking is just a type of slavery, um, objectifying people and turning them into less than who they are, that being uh, creations of God. Um, of course, that doesn't exactly track in, in other religious contexts, right? So uh, in the case of Islam, in the Quran, Muhammad does have multiple sex slaves because uh, uh, he has his nine-year-old wife, Aisha, then he has some of his other wives. Then he has multiple female sex slaves. Uh, and he says that Allah told him that he's allowed to have multiple female sex slaves to have sex or rape as much as he wants, right? Um, and, and so we can't use that for this discussion because in, in that case, Muhammad, uh, who in Islam is the um, moral objective image that is to be pursued so he is their moral standard he is the uh, most moral person in history according to the quran um so i i reject that but also i state that it doesn't really help with this discussion because he had his own sex slaves and so for the sake of this discussion i'm going to use some other moral system that potentially states that sex slavery is bad if we go to buddhism uh we can't state anything there because buddhism doesn't really hold in the intrinsic sense to any notion of there being a true objective need to prevent sex trafficking. Um, if we go like by Buddha with uh, Buddhism with karma, then any way that a person is born, they're born because of how they lived their previous life. And so you're not really called to step in their lane, right? Um, because they deserve the way that they are. You see this also in Hinduism, which is why we have the modern caste system in India still, after all this time. Uh, the untouchables are just those people who were who did such bad stuff in their previous life that they were born into this state of poverty or disease or whatever it is. And so you can't help them because they were so bad in their previous life, they deserve exactly what they're experiencing. Uh, same goes for sex trafficking every single part of your life just based off of that. So that's Hinduism. Buddhism kind of just calls for a removal from the world personally. And so I'm not really called to help with or against war or help for or work in poverty or anything else because it's too materialistic, right? For Buddhism, you have to learn how to separate yourself from the world entirely and kind of learn to accept that all life is suffering and that you should just die alone uh, so that you can as quickly as you can escape that thing, which is suffering, um, thus leaving everybody else to suffer. And so Buddhism and Hinduism don't really help with this discussion because they kind of just, you know, allow for sex trafficking. Um, I can't use the Quran. As in like, that's just the choice that they're going to make. So in the next life, they'll be an untouchable. Exactly. Right. Um, or, or the people who have been abducted into sex slavery, uh, deserve uh, you know, they it. deserve it right because they did something apparently they did something mm. horrendous in their past life and so you know can't really use that moral system because that if anything would propagate it or at the very least substantiate the claim in the propagation of a sex trafficking based system right um so none of these systems so far right going through these other worldview systems none of them really help in the discussion because they kind of allow for it um, and so, uh, we can now try to go on to, um, atheism. So atheism for the, for the general worldview of atheism in the case of, let's see, Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens, uh, they state that our, uh, in the case of Sam Harris, I don't want to misstate who this is from. In the case of Sam Harris, uh, on his discussion on good and evil, he says our intuition is sufficient for doing good and evil. Um, so he basically states that humans, just by following their intuition, can ascertain good and evil in a way which is shared by all people. Um, this, of course, is incorrect because a lot of people have intuitions that are just downright 
disruptive, wicked, toxic, evil, murderous, or uh, in some cases, sexually abusive um, or physically abusive. All of these things being some people's intuitions. They're like, I just like to physically dominate another person without their consent or control. Um, so I reject that. Uh, I think also Sam Harris assumes far too well of people uh, in the notion that, you know, just if everybody follows their intuition, they'll all figure out what good and evil is. And I'm like, no, I, I've heard about Hitler. Um, and then <laughs> in the case of Christopher Hitchens, I'm sure he, said, he has an argument for that, right? He, he, he does in the fact that he tries to state simply, uh, simply by attacking the opposition, right? So what he'll say as an argument to that is he'll state after stating that intu intuition is sufficient for developing a moral system. And he uses the evidence that multiple people throughout the world have similar uh, moral claims. Now he uses this as an argument against Christianity, but it doesn't work because Christianity clearly states throughout the book of Romans in the new Testament that God has inscribed the, his law on the hearts of all people so that all people are held accountable. That is to say that Christians agree that like all people throughout all different cultures and systems have shared moral values because it says clearly in scripture that some form of the law of God is inscribed on all people's hearts. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and of course, as time goes on, people can ignore that law written on their hearts and do whatever the culture states. But um, his claim doesn't go against Christianity. If anything, he's just quoting from scripture. Um and then what he does, he, he says, religion is the most insidious form of separation between people and that holy books are not moral. What he fails to understand is that if he's stating that people's intuitions are sufficient for their moral development, he's stating that equally the people who wrote these holy books, their intuitions were you know, you know, significant and functional enough to make the moral claims they're making in the holy scriptures. And so... By that very standard, he can't state that the people writing moral, you know, like holy books, are any different from people writing moral claims today Be by his own statement that intuition is enough. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, he wants to state that humans back then didn't have intuition, to which I'd surely point him to a lot of neuroscientists, a lot of evolutionary biologists. <laughs> I would say uh, back on, then they probably had more because there was less processed food that you were eating and yeah, technology honestly. that you were taking in you were much there was just much more humble living exactly no that's actually well said and there also is a lot of biological data that would support what you said um the general data intake that being neurological stimulation you know staring at a screen for tiktok five second videos mm -hmm. right is messing with people's ability to memorize and formulate yeah, deep concepts less stimulus yeah in general <laughs> right. we're so stimulated there's how could you possibly shut down long enough to listen to your intuition exactly exactly it's true and so if anything uh his claim would actually give more credence yeah. to the people that he's claiming uh yeah. made these arbitrary systems. it's so funny that that's like a sam harris argument because one of the things that i always thought was so funny is that he started a meditation app and the words meditation app are so juxtaposed in my head that like <laughs> people need, and there's so many of them. There are so many meditation apps that like people need an app to meditate, which is still stimulate. Like you're still being stimulated if you have to, you know, you're taking in these, uh, what, what am I doing here? Yeah, you know, like the like random neuro. <laughs> yeah, like the neurostimulation from the yes. whenever they give you a random stimulus, right? Like, oh, well, like anytime you have headphones on or are listening to something or even like the lights and the microwaves that are just everything, your smart house, your smart TV, your smartphone, like all of it is sending waves through you all the time. And then and like, that's what you kind of need to meditate from. But then if you need to use your headphones to use an app to meditate, I guess that I is know. a self-defeating system, isn't it? The thing that it brings to mind is crystals that you can see shutting off uh, waves from things like um, currents from different technologies. So 
if you keep them on you near you, they kind of like block your cell, your cellular device or your internet or any of those things that are, that you're like constantly taking in. I can't remember the name of this particular crystal, but, uh, infertility, the, the main cause of infertility is people keeping their phones in their pockets. So it's like oh, these waves that you're getting from, from your phone constantly being on. That's like ruining our bodies. It's true. It's true. I, I think um, I, I have seen some of the studies about crystals. I think one issue is that all forms of radiation always emanate out in a sphere. And so in order for crystals to be fully effective, you would have to have your full body encased in a crystal. Um, just because uh, if you're wearing a necklace with a crystal, then if that little bit of radiation hits here, then, you know, it might be deflected. But again, radiation happens in a sphere. And so every other part of your body, every part of your corpus will still be affected. And so um, sadly, uh, it only ever works in little par portions and parts. But uh, because we live in a 3D space, radiation is almost inescapable yeah. at this point. And our, uh, literally, actually, it's literally completely impossible unless we go all the way underground uh, in this day and age. And so I, I've heard of those crystal uh, papers. I've even seen some of the original physics-based uh, physics research analyses to see where the claim comes from, besides Hinduism. And uh, I wish it was as effective as they claim, but sadly you would need a full body cast of a crystal for it to work. Um, but it is true, actually, the dangers of having your phone in your pocket, not just for women, but for men, too. Yeah. Uh, the amount of spermicide that happens and develops because of over, you know, overexposure to radiation from your phone constantly uh, can be a pretty serious resultant effect of, of having a phone next to, you know, mm -hmm. the constant air, you know, like close to the gonads for anyone. And so. You know, it's kind of funny, especially for someone yeah. like Sam Harris, you know, Sam Harris of all people yeah. to make a meditation of. That's strange, actually. Well, OK, so let's get back into sex trafficking. Yes. Yes. So now that we've kind of gone through um, Quranic uh, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, and then over to atheism. Uh, or agnostic atheism, if you want to follow the words of Bart Ehrman, uh, since I guess it technically depends on how you define each of those, because they're, they're almost interchangeable, depending on if you're Bart Ehrman or anybody else who's not Bart Ehrman. So it depends. But uh, <laughs> in those systems where there's no such actual source of morality, and we have to make our, our own morality up, uh, and Christopher Hitchens even echoes this. And of course, Richard Dawkins states that we must do away with the notion of good and evil, right and wrong, and simply accept that we are, um, you know, machines in a pitiless uh, universe with no guiding principle or purpose. Uh, in, in this notion that there is no such thing as an objective morality, that things might be good or might be bad, depending on your opinion. And so you can't really state that somebody else is right or wrong this becomes really problematic in the case of sex trafficking and the porn industry, because those are actually very tightly related. And there's a lot of statistics to show how a lot of people that have been sex trafficked since an early age, very early age are so normalized to, you know, sexual activity that they just kind of go into the porn industry. Cause that's what they're used to. Um, and there's tons of statistics and I'm, I'm sure I could pull those up pretty quickly as needed. But uh, if, someone were to assert that there's no such thing as objective morality, that nothing is actually good or bad, that there's nothing wrong with sex trafficking, that there's nothing wrong with the sexually assaulting, abusing people. How would they defend the claim that sex trafficking is wrong? Like what, what could, what could they say, you know, against it? Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, is there anybody saying that it's not wrong? So besides people, these religions where it's, you know, they're like making up for the evil that they did in a past life. Other than that, yeah, are there so, people claiming that there's nothing wrong with it? There's people stating that there's nothing objectively wrong with it. They'll say, my opinion is that it's wrong, but uh, the notion of objective morality is just an illusion, right? 
Um, there are many people who will state, there, you know, if there's no objective truth or there's no object, objective moral law giver, right? There's no such thing as objective morality. Then I can't logically, intellectually state that what they're doing is like objectively wrong. What I can state is that I find it personally offensive, right? Um, for people who are being intellectual. Why personally? Honest, what was that? Why personally offensive? Well, because they can't, again, if there's no such thing as objective morality, the beauty of objective morality is it is a grounding onto which all people can stand and reflect upon that standard, right? If there's no grounding, then you also can't really necessarily assert that your morality logically includes others. It has to be a personal development or a development which you hold personally from some other information you've learned, but still it must be personal assertion uh, and you can't necessarily state that, you know, oh, now along with me thinking it's wrong, I have to effectually stop it from happening. So does that argument also see nothing inherently wrong with slavery? Uh, it literally sees nothing inherently wrong with anything. Uh, the, the removal of objective morality, again, this is in like an atheist framework. Um, of course, in the Christian framework, there is an objective morality. Uh, but it, to, to just focus on the atheist framework instead, everything that you could think of, every awful thing you can think of throughout history, you can just state that it was personally wrong or subjectively wrong because of how people felt at the time. But what they were doing wasn't objectively wrong. They were just kind of going with whatever their culture allowed at the time it is usually the historical assertion, right? So people in Germany who would actually turn, um, you know, Jewish people in or gypsies in or uh, people with, with um, d disabilities, they would turn them into the, the camps. They weren't doing anything objectively wrong. They were just doing what their culture said was okay to do at the time, is, is what the assertion would be. Well, if you're turning people in at that time, uh, your culture is telling you that that's the right thing to do, not that it's not objectively wrong. Exactly, it's exactly. Lawful. Like, it's, it's unlawful to not turn them in. Yeah, so, so that's what people would say, right? They'll say their culture said that it was okay, so it's okay. Uh, but that ignores the point of objective morality. Objective morality states that there is a grounding which states that even if you thought that this was okay, you're still held accountable. Part of the Nuremberg trial. But if somebody, this is like slightly tangential, but if somebody is growing up in a particular culture and they're learning from everyone around them from birth, their objectivity becomes that. So how do you, how do you like disassemble that whole structure of thinking without, I don't know, like that, that's difficult for me. Cause I'm not saying that it's, it doesn't make it wrong. It's just that if somebody is coming up in Buddhism or Hinduism or, um, understanding the Quran to be the objective truth, then how do you come to that person and say everything that you believe is wrong and it's not objective? Sure. So, so that's actually an excellent question because it is fundamental to this discussion, right? Um, you have to look at the internal consistency, the internal logical, logical consistency of their claim. The way that we know something is objectively true is if it's internally consistent, if that worldview is consistent in and of itself, right? Um, and so I would- But nobody's thinking about that when they're when they're growing up. Sure, and that's- and, and, and most people don't think about that unless they're like you and they've developed an interest in philosophy. Sure and or apologetics or religion in general, like people aren't questioning their beliefs. Yeah, I mean, scientists are supposed to actually, sci like uh, scientists have to kind of, even historians have to analyze, okay, is the narrative that's being presented here one which is internally consistent with the data presented? Believe it or not, people actually always try without even knowing it to create something which feels to them 
consistent or they completely ignore consistency. Yeah. Yeah. People are all, yeah. People I think inherently are looking for, uh, balance assimilation. Yeah. Well, not assimilation, but they, but definitely as children, they are. Exactly. And, and I think that what's the word I'm looking for synchronicity. I don't know. Yeah. So some sort of, um, stability in thought, right. Some sort of consistency, uh, which might fit balance more, but I think aside from people not thinking about this, which is a more so a pity on the world for not pursuing the depths of logic, right. Uh, than it is for kids who usually try to, that's why kids always ask why. Um, it's the, the beauty of what mm-hmm. kids do is they ask why about everything. And then some adults get flustered because they can't answer because they just stop asking why they don't ask why. Yeah, exactly. Which is really strange to me. Um, the beauty of the, of, of Christian faith is that there's a constant asking philosophically, intellectually, morally, according to cosmology of why, um, even David, uh, in the Psalms looks up at the stars and says, I look up at the the heavens and all the stars that you have counted and given a name to. And I ask, what is man that you should love him? The son of man that you should, you know, care for him. And so even King David is thinking creation is massive and beautiful. Why are humans important to God? Um, Right. And so these kind of questions are healthy and intellectually um, effective and necessary for, for proper development. Uh, but the way to approach people about this is actually just to walk with them. It's not so much walking against them, but to walk with them and say, all right, let's, let's go through your system. Let's go through your worldview and let's see if you can explain to me in a consistent way what you believe. Um, because it's not so much telling people that what they think is, uh, logically inconsistent. You know, it's, it's, it's a total travesty of logic. Rather, instead of saying that, which would be utterly offensive, what you got to do is you have to walk alongside people and say, all right, how does your worldview explain this? But your- even that, you have to find someone who is willing to want to take that walk. Like most people aren't extremely open to challenge my belief system and rock my whole world. So I have to upend everything and then have to level it out. People aren't open to that kind of discomfort typically. And while again, somebody like you or me might be the, the reception of being like, Hey, can I walk you through what your belief system is? People are like, who are you? Yeah. Or no, no. And and, and honestly, like, why do you think that your, that yours is better than mine? And I mean, because we're having this conversation, I understand that from your perspective, your whole basis of study is argument, but that's not most people. It's historians, it's philosophy, uh, philosophers, it's scientists, but it's not most people. Hmm. Well said. No, I mean, I, I think the focus is actually that I'm not trying to explain to them why their worldview is flawed. In the in the walk I'm doing with them, I'm asking them to explain to me their worldview uh because that that's mm-hmm. easier right I, I think the average person understands like like for instance on, on this topic of sex trafficking the average person will would answer uh that sex trafficking is objectively wrong um now of course if you prime the conversation and this is a bit of psychological priming you learn about this in like general how to set up a research project uh mm-hmm. but if you prime somebody with the question at first, is objective morality a thing? And most people will say no. And I'll say, all right, is sex trafficking objectively wrong? They'll say, well, I guess not. But if you just answer, ask them the question first off the bat, like, you know, is sex trafficking wrong? Is it bad to abduct, you know, three-year-old girls and uh, put them in a area where they're going to be sexually assaulted by grown men for years and years and years? The average, uh, I think a large portion of people will say that's objectively wrong and they'll state like oh that's not just my opinion they'll uh that's objectively wrong and so then we can kind of go through that right we can start with these places where we agree and then see if it actually works with everything else that we say uh so it's not so much following my logic as much as it is asking them to follow their own 
and see if it works. And if it doesn't, then to consider changing their, their minds. Because um, I think most people would. I really think if you ask the ran- like a random person off the sidewalk, you know, is it bad to sex traffic a kid for 16 years and then let her off on the streets, but all she knows how to do is to do sex work. So then she goes right back to the streets to go to a corner and for the next 20 to 30 years uh, be stuck in the sex industry until a porn producer sees a prostitute that he finds attractive and tries to rope her into shooting films and videos for uh, the porn industry to which weekly she has to, or bi-weekly, she has to go to the hospital to have the internal walls of, uh, you know, like her internal walls checked because of the amount of internal bleeding and bruising from the severity of the sexual acts committed by the man in the video, which is a very common experience for mostly women in the porn industry, not so much men, mostly women. I think the average person will say, yeah, that's, that's just wrong objectively. Yeah. I'm having like a different argument in my head, which is that when you're just pulling somebody off the street to ask them these questions, not that that's the way that this happens, but anytime you're starting to question someone, about their beliefs in general, not necessarily this, but like, let's say you had someone who did believe that this was objectively. No, I don't know if there's anybody who thinks that's objectively moral, even if they're people who participate in it, if they're being honest with themselves, I'm not sure that that's like an objectively moral industry or thing to do or way to do it, I guess is really what we're getting at, but it's like someone on the street, you're asking them a question about something with the intention of sort of like continuing to ask them these questions to disprove what they believe that number one seems like that person would be skeptical that again, who are you to be questioning my beliefs? I'm not questioning yours. And number two, for the person questioning, very egotistical. And that I, I we actually talked about ego in the last conversation a little bit, but it's it seems egotistical to say, I want to ch- to even say, like, how do I change someone's beliefs to be more like mine? All right. Can you explain that? If you're supposed to spread this thing, it feels like, I don't know, that feels egotistical to say, I'm right, let me change your mind, regardless of the tactics that you're using to change the minds. That in itself seems egotistical because we're talking about walking them through something. And it's like, you're not objectively at the beginning saying that's wrong. Instead, you're like walking them through what they believe in order to disprove it seems like I know something that you don't and I should change you. Mm. This is a different argument than like whether sex trafficking is immoral, but it's generally uh, the immorality of different belief systems and saying that like there is one that is better. And I understand that in Christianity, there are less or no um, imbalances in the way that there are in others in terms of what is moral and what is not, but it's still because like you are a person who came up in Christianity you believe what you believe. And there are people who have the same um, experience growing up in a particular belief system. Honestly, whether it's a cult, whether it's a religion, whether it's just the way that their family works, it's the way that you believe the world to be structured, the way that you have been able to find balance. And for anyone to come in and say that is imbalanced, it seems like it's coming from a perspective that is ego and ego is built in order to protect you from what you find to be immoral. So I guess that's what I mean by ego. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so if uh, I guess there's a couple of different ways to tackle this. First of all, Christopher Hitchens was actually raised in Britain in a Christian family. 
Um, so just because someone's raised a certain way doesn't mean that they are bound by those belief systems, right? Christopher Hitchens himself became an atheist agnostic later in life. And so we're not, we're not exactly bound by the way we're raised because people change the way they believe all the time. Uh, I, I had a friend who was, you know, back in Rhode Island, raised in an atheist framework. And then after many months of discussion uh, and questions and following physics and biology and the logical conclusions of it, she became a, a Christian. Um, but, so, but how many of those people were open to um, because change happens because you're looking for something and then someone has the answer, right? So then hmm. you're like, I'm interested in this now versus another way that change happens, which is there is a hierarchy of this is what's right, whether it's moral or not, this is what's right from the top down and almost in a, uh, in a tyrannic way. Is that the right word? Um, and so I guess how much of, of changing other religions or other, or people's minds to assimilate to your religion is systemic and how, um, moral is that even? Sure. Sure. I mean, of course, America's re uh, getting very close to the point where it's a post-Christian nation. So that's a fair point. I guess atheism is more systemic and so atheism is uh, putting that as a, a common belief. Europe is, a, or like Britain for sure, at the very least, is a post-Christian nation, a predominantly atheist, agnostic. And so that's a fair point. I guess atheism in a lot of places is becoming so systemic to the point where it is becoming uh, tyrannical and oppressive. So I understand what you're saying. That's a fair point. I guess atheism has kind of become that. Um, but if I were to state this more clearly, the notion that something is right is not inherently egotistical in the way that we think that drinking water is necessary for human survival, right? If, mm. if other people disagree with the assertion that water is a very important part of the, uh, of, of like living and perpetuating an individual's life further and further, longer and longer. Uh, and I state, but think about how biology works and I have a water bottle for them. Am I being egotistical and offering to them something which is for their good after helping them through the rationalization process of accepting that water? No, but that's exactly where we started in, in terms of like physics. No, well, not necessarily like, biology becomes chemistry, which becomes physics, which becomes where did it come from? Right. And then it's God. And then it's this God, because the book is, has the most consistencies. Yes. Yes. Except that doesn't change the fact that again, the claim we're making in the Christian worldview is that this will save you. There's a reason all of these religions, because I think most people also forget that like atheism, there's tons of atheist apologists. There's tons of atheist yeah, apologists yeah, yeah, too. Are, sure. like, again, right? And they're, they're they're very popular, far more popular, to be honest, than most Christian apologists or anything else. So if anything, the because strongest- people are looking for a reason to not be tied to their morality. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because it's much easier. It's so yeah. much easier to not be tied to truth, right? Because the argument against talking to people about Christianity is it's uncomfortable. But the argument is never talking to people about Christianity is bad because Christianity is true. It's because it's uncomfortable, right? In the case of atheism, the reason people have a double standard is because atheism doesn't really make a lot of people feel as uncomfortable because it states just whatever, you know, whatever happens, happens. Whatever doesn't happen, doesn't happen. Nothing has objective value. Nothing has objective lack of value. Uh, the assertion of values, if anything, a philosophical and psychological construct made by a brain which is trying to pathetically rationalize its existence in some sort of devoid void, which is an impossible state as is. But the issue is that if we were to say this, then we have to say equally to the atheist and the agnostic and to every single group on earth that they cannot ever talk about their beliefs. Because if you believe something, you believe something because you believe it's true. And right. So, and it's not saying that you can't talk about it, but I'm saying talking about it with the intent 
to change someone's mind is systemic. It's, it's not necessarily altruistic, which we talked about in the last episode being a truth that God is the truth of altruism and really the only, I was going to say person, but he's not a person, (laughs) but like, you know, the only being that is is truly altruistic, right? It's so inherently in changing and like wanting to spread something without there being people who are openly accepting of it doesn't really seem moral. But but I'm 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 still failing to see the issue of morality because again, for the issue of morality for wanting to change someone's mind. The issue of morality for wanting to talk to somebody to a point of a logical consistency. The issue is if we apply that to a school system, right? Mm -hmm. If we apply that to an academic institution, if we apply that to the news and media, if we apply that to any system and state that the assertion that people must change their minds to fit a more logical framework would make every math class in the world disappear overnight because now you're pushing that people have to follow this mathematical system that two plus two is four, four plus four is eight, that there's some method of- But is is math so much a system more than it is? Well, there's two things. Math and science are hard truths. Not so much right? science. Math, math and is, I guess science is not as much. Okay. And then the other is that um, in those cases, people are electively going to school and going to a church or participate, like they're electively participating in those things versus, you know, in, in this case being like, I'm a Christian and over here I'm a Muslim and the Christian says, hey, let me ask you a question. And then and with the intent to pr- disprove this person versus two people saying, let's talk about religion. And I, yeah. and I'm not saying that there's any one religion that is doing this because they all do it. They're, they're, you know, like everybody wants, everybody thinks that their truth is the truth. Why is one more truthful? And the answer that you're giving is because there are less there there are inconsistencies in these other teachings yeah it's it's internal inconsistencies internal contradictions again it's not about applying my system to theirs it's asking them about their system Mm -hmm. to see if they can provide an internally consistent framework right um it's because i don't even need i think dr frank turk perfectly puts it you don't actually need to necessarily uh know your own scripture inside and out to ask other people about theirs. Mm-hmm. What you have to do is you just have to ask them about this. Is this consistent with this? If this is in, is not consistent, then how do you rationalize it? Is that rationalization allowed according to your own worldview? And then if it's inconsistent, then that requires some rethinking. But also to, to add a bit more to this, I mm-hmm. think the issue is that, and this definitely comes from more of an American perspective, right? In other countries, I think the nature of discomfort is not as much a question. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if you go to some other nation, some other culture, uh, and even in America between religious groups, these discussions are actually often part of their entire religious experience. And so it's sometimes desired by people to have these discussions in an open format so mm-hmm. as to understand, okay, what is actually different about this? Is yours consistent? Is mine consistent? Can we can we logically evaluate our own belief systems? And then as a logical happenstance of that self-evaluation, if I find that there's something lacking in my belief system, then I either have to learn more or I have to realize this isn't logically consistent, I should change. Um, because that's how logic works. And if I don't if I don't pursue logic, then I I'm guess- illogical. <laughs> It's it's so funny because like that's how logic works. As you were speaking, I was like, that's how creativity works. That's how anything works. Is that there is a place where you are right now, and there is a question that you have, 
And there is the space in between that you either find logic or you create something to build the bridge. Um, And honestly, like, who's to say then that any of these religions didn't just like come from that like gap? You know? Well, no, I mean, all of these, uh, you, you can say that about literally anything, anything. also. Yeah. yeah, but the difference is that we have to actually then go into archaeological records, historical records. There's a reason that this is more than just the moral argument. Mm-hmm. The argument for Christianity is not just the moral one. I think that's probably the easiest one to talk about uh, for a lot of people, but it's not the only one. We have to then go you further. you don't really need any facts for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because yeah, moral, there, there's this a weird type of intuition, right? Um, which also is a very important bridge to be built between people. So we can say, okay, why do we both believe that pedophilia is wrong? Like, why? Why? Because then, I, I again, the discomfort of the question is not evidence against the truth, right? right. If I go to someone and I ask them this question and they give me an answer, and I, I think about it for a bit and they think about their response for a bit. And then we we can rationalize. The only understanding of this is egotistical is more so from like a modern post, no, a postmodern contemporary American perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. Because otherwise this would require the assertion or, or it would require the regulation that every single conversation is without any intent whatsoever to change anybody's mind. If anything, this very podcast. Yeah. Right. For any time that you have a thought or an opinion, which is different from mine, you would not be able to share yours because then that would make you egotistical. Well, and I think that sometimes it's just a a matter of not having even enough practice or, or information to have the conversation in the first place. Then you shut down from wanting to accept anything that might be different from what you already believe. Yeah, and that's fair. That that's that's a that's a fair and logical response um, uh, to to you know kind of shut down if the information is not present. Uh, but to state that someone is egotistical for having an opinion that they wish to share for the log- logical development of it to an ends doesn't track, right? Because I don't think you're egotistical for having an opinion which is different from mine in a manner which you provide such that I would consider your opinion as the for the possible truth value that it contains in the way that you presented it in terms of walking you through why your religion might not be the truth you didn't present it that way you presented it as almost like a trick like we're going to I'm going to walk you through it and the way that you just said it made it such that both people are almost open to having the conversation versus the way that you said it earlier in terms of walking someone through your argument through your questions feels like a like trickery it feels like you are i know that you're wrong and i'm going to start asking you questions and i'm going to present them in a way that is just a question and then i'm going to walk you through why what you believe is wrong because you're not going to be able to state a logical answer to my questions. That's no, how that, that's how the difference felt. No, I mean, it, in either case, if somebody doesn't want to have the conversation, they just walk away. Don't, yeah. Yeah. And that's, so, so it's not like I'm binding someone down to the ground <laughs> and saying, listen to my, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying trickery. Like I'm, but, I'm but very clear and it's not binding it down. Sure. Sure. But then again, what nature of it being trickery, right? I'm just asking questions mm-hmm. and I legitimately want to hear their responses. It's not me tricking. Again, in the pursuit of logical discussion, mm-hmm. if someone really is able to present data, which is sufficient and new to me. So are you looking for that? Yes, constantly. It's the reason yeah. I talk to people is so that I can actually learn how do people actually think? Because again, the most powerful part of being an apologist is willing to being willing to have these conversations with people yeah. either people who agree with and you be and willing say, to be wrong but you haven't been wrong yet <laughs> well, no I mean like earlier on there were some parts where I'm like oh I didn't actually think about that and then I had to realize oh wait a second the thing I said was not even in scripture that was just like a personal 
philosophy I had developed, right? Uh, yeah. That was, I guess, a year and a half ago. And so it, it's, it's kind of like cutting it down to, okay, this is actually what scripture says. I made something that actually wasn't representative of it. And so then, you know, there, there's development mm-hmm. in that. But again, to state that there's trickery is assuming worse of the individual asking questions than right. they are. If, if, I'm, if a Muslim- I guess I'm assuming less that the individual, uh, I, I'm not assuming less of the individual so much as I'm assuming that there are flaws in every religious system. Sure, sure. Innately in that particular thing of needing people to change their minds so that they can fit into your system. So so can you explain why that is an inherent flaw in a religious system? Because it's assuming it's assuming that yours is true. Like, and obviously in apologetics, you are searching for the truth through logic and data and analysis. Not everyone who is systematically trying to change minds is doing it from that perspective, right? They're not doing it in order to have their minds changed necessarily or being open to having a kind of conversation. They are doing it with the intent to change someone into believing their systematic truth, which feels culty. And I, honestly, that's why I think like in some sense, I, I started off our very first conversation talking about how I always believed agnosticism to be that you do believe that there is that higher being almost in the sense of the physics uh, argument, which is that it had to have come from somewhere that, you know, that to be true as an agnostic, but you don't necessarily like none of us can actually see it no matter what religion you believe in. So then that had always been my distinction between agnosticism and atheism, which is that agnosticism, you know that there is that there has to be an answer. There's no worldly tangible answer. So you believe that there is a God, but you can't there it's it's you can't put your truth and faith into something that was built by people which is the actual religion itself versus um atheism which is that there is no god right yeah yeah exactly uh, and I, um, I i hear what you're saying so, I, yeah the issue is that again assuming that people claiming that they're that they have a truth as being an inherent flaw is ignoring the very nature of all research and mathematics and physics, mm-hmm. right? Because if I'm going to claim that physics and mathematics have an objective grounding to their logic, right? And I use that objective grounding, that truthful, that truth-centered objective grounding to state, even in the case of agnosticism, if I'm going to take that grounding and state that, okay, this actually shows that there is a God. And then the moment it comes to trying to discover you know, who he is, what, what, what actually reflects his nature, then all of a sudden I reject the nature of objective truth, which I just used to prove that there is a God. Right. And so we, we have to be consistent. If I'm going to state, okay, I believe that there is a God because of mathematics or the physics, because of the nature of cosmology and philosophy. And I, I take those as like objective truthful grounds. And then the moment that I'm on earth and I'm thinking, all right, well, no religion's true because none of them can be true. Then that's ignoring the very logical grounding that I was used to prove that there is a God in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of one of Sam Harris's friends is Ben Shapiro, who is Jewish and also extremely grounded in the truth in terms of logic and science. And again, you said mathematics, I guess, data. Um, Mm. He's Jewish. So which is the truth there? Sure. uh, Then I would look at his. And and actually, Judaism is one of the few where people aren't trying to sort of like 
co-opt others into their religion. Because, they almost repel it. Well, no, it's it's because they technically in many cases can't because mm. it's not just a simple religious system. It's also like a cultural system, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if you joined the Ju Judaic worldview, the Judaic system, you still would not be Jewish, right? Because um, it's not just it's not just a religion. Even scripture shows that, you know, the, the, the Jewish people are a unique people set apart by God awaiting the Messiah. And so it's not just a religious group. It's also like a cultural unit. It's a very, you know, it's a very rare thing. But in discussion with Ben Shapiro, because also know that Ben Shapiro would speak with many Christian apologists. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's actually very open to conversation yeah. with Christian apologists because he's, again, Judaism and Christianity are definitely one of the closest groups that you can actually get um, in terms of any other religious system worldview, right? That very, very close because Christianity is Messianic Judaism, um, which is to say that the Messiah has come. Uh, mm -hmm. Judaism is still waiting for the Messiah, but Messianic Judaism, and, you know, skipped 2000 years and now we call it Christianity, uh, that asserts that the Messiah has already come, Jesus. And so he, he lived the perfect life, uh, died a torturous death at the hands of both his own countrymen and Romans, uh, the Gentiles, uh, such that all people who would simply believe in him would be saved. Uh, because th such a moral standard is literally impossible. The issue with Judaism is that it does follow under the old covenant, which is the Torah, right? All of those ceremonial laws, all those laws in a way which sets a moral standard, which is technically impossible to fill perfectly um, by any human, save for the Lord himself coming down in flesh and, and doing so on behalf of people. And so the issue is that Judaism isn't really going out, you know, it's not something you go out of your way to um, try to bring people in, you know, proselytize, because it's not really a thing that is inherently rooted in that kind of proselytizing and evangelizing. It's more culturally based. And so you can't really tell somebody on the street, hey, become Jewish, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's not really a thing yeah. you can do. And so, uh, again, if I were to be in a discussion with Ben Shapiro, and I've seen many of his responses, uh, he makes assertions which, and he's, he's a brilliant man, but he makes assertions which are not founded in his own scripture, right? He'll state, uh, well, God in the Old Testament never came down in the physical form, except for all the different times in the Old Testament where God comes down uh, in either a non-physical or a physical form, which we call a Christophany. It's, uh, it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament before he's uh, physically incarnate. And so he, he kind of just ignores a lot of the parts of his own scripture uh, mm. in order to stay in the cultural context. And, and as an explanation to add to this, this is not, it's not easy to yeah. apostatize. Yes. It's not easy to leave like your own cultural system or religious system. I mean, in the case of the massive amount of Muslims who have left uh, Islam to become Christians, a lot of them, uh, are officially labeled apostates. And according to the Quran, you are to kill the apostate, whether it be son or daughter, mother or father, right? And so a lot of Muslims who have become Christians, especially since 2020, actually since 2020, there was a very massive Muslim to Christian apostasy thing. It's, there's tons of research on it. It's very interesting. Um, but a ton of them are just either kicked out of their families and their communities forever, or they're killed. And so it's not easy to leave. Yeah, you've but, I mean, and you you've said that a bunch already that it's not comfortable. It's uncomfortable to have these conversations and these beliefs that are juxtaposed to modern society and culture. Um, one of the things that you said before, actually more than once, I think, is um pedophilia you brought up pedophilia That's and that reminds me of a movie called nymphomaniac where there is a character who uh, um you don't find out until there's two volumes of the film you don't find out until the very end that there is this person who has um 
a sex drive for children and has never acted upon it. And, uh, and the main character who is an infomaniac has this like empathy for this person who has had these drives and has never acted upon them. Um, And I think she might be the only person that he's ever told. Anyway, point being, I think that number one, I want to hear your thoughts on that before the end of this episode, but I think that it might be an interesting transition into evolution. Sure. Oh yes. For our next episode. Yes, of course. Um, So yeah, in those cases, and I think scripture is also very clear on this uh, multiple times. If someone feels a temptation towards something which is just wrong, right? Like in the case of somebody who who wants to have sex with a six-year-old um, while they're like 30 or 40 or 50 or something, the, the thing that is truly sinful is lusting after them, not being attracted, but lusting after them, right? Like thinking about them in all these sexual ways and, and all these, but then far more so acting on that lust. Um, that that that's what scripture says actually in a lot of cases right you know i mean there there is an inherent upsettingness and sin to hating someone right uh in your heart but which is is murder of the heart right uh, to hate a brother is to uh, murder them within your heart uh, to lust after a woman is to commit adultery in your heart so says jesus um that's why he says if your eyes would cause you to lust after a woman to turn her into an object then just gouge your eyes out and if your hands would cause you to uh, you know, murder or like hate a brother, then, you know, cut off the hand. And he's not saying that literally, he's saying you should stay as far away from lusting after someone as you possibly can. And you should stay as far away from hating someone as you possibly yeah. can. And so in the case of also with um, somebody who is dealing with uh, attractions to children in those instances, especially if someone earnestly puts all those, like they never act on it. They have the attractions, but they never act on it. Then that's something which scripture far more calls people to do. Like, even if you have a desire to, you know, like if you're an aggressive person inherently and you you just always have an internal desire to fight people and punch people and hurt people, but you don't act on it, then that is good. You should not act on these things that are, that are part of you just because they're natural, right? Uh, to be more aggressive, to, to want to be more, uh, violent. And so of course I would still hope that person gets, you know, some sort of psychological help, uh, so that they also don't have to struggle with that constant desire to, you know, like, Oh, I see a kid and I want to, you know, do something like that. Uh, you know, I, I would hope they could find some help to perhaps just kind of curb that. Uh, but it really is acting on that internal desire that is you know truly the depths of that sin um so where do you think those desires come from yeah there's a there's a lot of different (laughs) there's actually a lot of interesting jordan peterson uh psychological analyses on these and i think maybe michaela peterson although her her focus is different uh some of these desires i think are uh deeply psychological in that people have some sort of strange fixation since they were younger but instead of developing to to actually like people their age as they get older instead they're kind of stuck in this weird psychological fixation on children uh sometimes in very rare cases being because of just a chemical imbalance something off of puberty uh in other cases it's because they were assaulted or or molested when they were much younger and so that is a thing sadly the there is this awful perpetuation uh, of an action in which it scars somebody so dearly that they also, not always, but many times, uh, psychologically kind of just continue that that process, which has become normalized to them. Uh, I do blame the porn industry, actually, because ever since the nature of the porn industry, especially internet porn industry, the amounts of people who grow further and further into like the depths of niche porn categories, right? Uh, of like, oh, barely 18, uh, ju- ju- barely legal categories, stuff like that, which are upsettingly popular and upsettingly common. Um, as the years go on, they become more and more common. Uh, and also the amount of just straight up minors who are on Pornhub for years and years before Pornhub start to actually 
cut down on that uh, 2020 or 2021, I think, uh, where they actually realized, oh, there's like tons of children and minors and like child, like like very young people on this site. That's bad. Uh, and so I think porn industries as a whole definitely cause people to just grow up developing and desiring more and more niche and more and more raunchy stuff, right? This is very common with any type of addiction, but porn is included. Uh, people often start out with a more vanilla, as they'll call it, more vanilla category. And then as time goes on, they'll uh, because of the lack of dopamine from watching that video and treating that person as a sex object and nothing more, then they're like, I need something more stimulating, more more interesting, right? More more uh, amazing. And so they look for a more niche category, like, oh, now it's, it got went from vanilla to maybe BDSM. Uh, and it's like, oh, so now the people are, you know, hitting each other and stuff, which also has a high link with sexual violence. But I guess that's a different discussion too. People get used to that category. And then again, like every addiction, you know, then they're like, oh, this isn't enough. I need something more. And so then they go to the more niche categories. And then well, these, these, I, I, these are making me think of, I, I have so many questions. We're going to get into it. Particularly though, let's look forward to talking about um, objectifying um, not necessarily in, yes, in the porn industry, but like objectifying in the sense that it's not like almost what happens in a marital relationship. If somebody is objectified, if someone, if they're, if you, if it's then okay to have this more and more and let's like almost novelty seeking in uh, a coveted relationship or um, even the desires for pain or things like that coming from a biological nature necessarily being wrong or corrupt. All of those questions. Um, and I think viewing them through the lens of evolution, I think, is very interesting because you know, there are animals who have sexual desires that we can see and like, how does that make it wrong or right? Because they have no conscience and we do, um, lots of questions. Of course. I'd love to talk about that, especially in evolution. That's going to be a fun topic. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Yes. Thank you very much. This has been so much. <laughs> <laughs> Salt Podcast. Pink Salt is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jacqueline Chantel. Sound production by Deb Daly and graphics by Alyssa Donaldson. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. See you next week.